have a seat. My name is Byron. My name is Byron and I get the great privilege to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. I wanna say welcome, thank you for joining us. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter three, where the sermon title today is How to Divorce Proof Your Marriage. We're continuing our study through 1 Peter that we're calling Christians Are Crazy, learning how to live for Christ in a world that is in crisis. And just so you know, today, marriage is not doing very well in our society. How many of you ever heard the, the quote or the statistic that 50% of all marriages end in divorce? You ever heard that? And some people would say that that's even true for those who are in the church. Marriage has fallen on hard times. That's why people are waiting to get married later on in life. People have sworn off marriage altogether and people are discouraged when it comes to their own marriages. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna be able to help you, bless you and prepare you on how to divorce proof your marriage through First Peter. And one of the things that I was looking at this week when it comes to the subject of marriage is why people have a negative perception around it is because a lot of us have been given bad advice when it comes to marriage. And so what I wanna do this week is I wanted to learn, okay, well, what is some of the bad advice when it comes to dating relationships and marriage that people receive? So I went to where I get all of my wisdom, the internet. And I posted on Facebook, what is some of the worst dating and marriage advice that you've received? And I got almost 200 comments from people sharing with me some of the worst advice they've received. So I just thought it would be fun to share some of these lovely pearls of wisdom with you this morning. And so here, here's the first one. Um, Rory said that you have to test drive a car before you buy it. Just so you know, terrible advice. Because women are not objects, women are created in the glory and image of God. And that's the reason why so many young men act towards women the way they do is because we have a culture and society that treat them like objects. The next one comes from this. That should have got more amens than it did. Um, Kristen said, you have the right bait, you just need to learn how to jiggle it. Bad advice, there is no jiggling, right? No jiggling. And listen, ladies, if you don't like the fish you're catching, check the bait you're using. Kelsey said, someone told my husband, go out and party while she's pregnant and enjoy life before it's over. That's bad advice and terrible friends. Blake said, be a man. Call of duty night is for the boys. Okay, you say that word man, but I don't think that word means what you think it means. Like if you think like being a man is staying up all night drinking Mountain Dew and playing Call of Duty, okay, you need to listen to this sermon twice. <laughs> Nathan said, follow your heart. Yeah, take that advice and you'll be following your heart right off a cliff. Jessica said, kids come first, only if you want to raise narcissists. Um, Brianne said, yeah, teach your kids that they're the center of the universe and your marriage revolves around them. Just wait and see what happens when they grow up. They can't even keep a job. Brianne said, your husband should love you more than you love him. They are now divorced. I wonder why. Cruz said, marriage is 50-50. Okay, so is the divorce settlement. Like if your goal of marriage is like 50-50, that's too much math. How about everybody just put 100-100 in it, all right? 
And then my favorite comes from Shalice, and I think we all know who that is. Um, every other name is like, oh, that could be anybody. But how many people know a Shalice? Here's what advice she was given on her wedding night. As soon as an argument starts, drop everything and run into the bedroom, strip down naked for each other as fast as you can, because you won't want to argue anymore. It worked quite well for us. This was told to me by my 78-year-old grandmother. Go granny. But it never worked for us. We just ended up continuing to argue naked. But she did want me to add this. She said, we have since mastered a much more effective technique for a healthy conflict resolution. Let's give it up for Shalise and her grandma. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. But here's the big idea today. When it comes to marriage, you can go to the world and you can get some bad advice. Would we all agree that there's some real bad advice out there when it comes to dating relationships and marriage. See, you could go to the world and you could get some bad advice or you can go to God's word and you get some biblical advice. You have two options. You can go and get some bad advice or you can come to church and you can get some biblical advice. The way that Christians view marriage is different than the way that the world does. Here's why. Because God created marriage. God invented marriage. God designed marriage. Therefore, only God can define marriage. And it is God who gives us the playbook, the guidelines, the foundation on how we can build a holy and healthy marriage for our family, for one another, and for our future. So instead of turning to the world to get bad advice, because there's a lot of bad advice, which is causing a lot of bad marriages and a lot of bad perception around marriage. This is the reason that pornography is a $12 billion industry. This is the reason that 40% that of children are growing up in homes without a father in the house when it comes to sex and sexuality and gender. The world's way is not working. We have men who are trying to be women and women who are trying to act like men. This is a society when it comes to sex, sexuality, gender is completely confused. But those of us who are in the church, we are not confused about the way that God has created us, God has designed us, God has defined us. And so 1 Peter is going to rewire our thinking around relationships by not giving us bad advice, but giving us some biblical advice. Who's got some bad advice before? You got some bad advice, some bad advice? All right, who's writing for some biblical advice when it comes to divorce-proofing your marriage? He's gonna give us three things and the last one is going to be very important, so hang with me until the very end of the sermon. What I'm going to share with you will revolutionize your relationships. So the first thing he's going to share with us is this. He's going to give us a word to the wives. Let's read it, starting in verse 1. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. That word likewise, very important, because what he's saying here is this. That everything I've said up until chapter 3 is, the, is setting the scene for what I'm about to say next. What have we learned so far is that we are exiles here. That the way we do life is different than the way the culture does life. That we are set apart. We are called to be holy. We are unique. And some people might say that that's crazy. But this world is not our home. And instead, we are living for another kingdom. 
We are not living according to the ways of this world, but we are building our life on the foundation of God's word. And so we were not made to fit in, but rather we were chosen by God to stand out. And one of the ways that we stand out is the way that we build our marriages. And so he's going to start by giving this really countercultural, revolutionary idea. And he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Don't freak out. We'll keep going. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external with the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. All the ladies looking around say, came to the wrong Sunday this morning. But he says instead, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Ladies, you're precious to God. For this is how the holy women of old hoped in God and used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I want you to look at that first word right there. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now let's pause right here. Does it say women are subject to men? It's not what it says. Does it say that wives are to be subject to all husbands? It's not what it says. It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. If you've ever grown up in a church or a tradition or in a home where you were taught as a woman that you are to be a prisoner in your home towards a man who has not submitted under accountability, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that sometimes this verse can be taken out of its context and it could be used to bring harm or to bring shame to women. I am so sorry if that ever happened to you. I have have two beautiful, powerful little girls and it terrifies me to think that they may one day grow up and be a part of a church or be married to a man who would actually take texts like this and then use them to bring harm or to bring guilt towards them. And so if that's you in this room, before I go any further for the ladies in this room, I wanna say, if that's your story, I am so sorry for you. And I hope that this message can bring hope and bring healing to a beginning of a new journey where God is creating in you the woman that he destined you to be. I love you. I'm thankful that you're here. And while we say all of that, we cannot escape the fact that the Bible says wives to be subject to your own husbands and to submit to your husbands. Right now I can just feel kind of the tension in the room. Ladies are like, no! Right? That's the S word. It's even worse than the other S word, right? You're like, I am my own woman. I am an I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-T woman. I don't need no man, girl power. The future is female. I feel it in the room. All the estrogen rising up inside of you. And so you're wondering, what does the word submit mean in the Greek? What is the definition of submission? Is there some way that I can do some hermeneutical gymnastics to twist the scripture to make it mean what I think it means instead of what the Bible actually means? Okay, before you do that, let me tell you what submission is not. Before I give you the definition of submission, let me tell you what submission is not. And hopefully this is able to prepare your heart for what I'm gonna share with you 
later. Here's what he says first. Submission does not mean that you have to agree on everything. See, in this text, the woman actually disagrees with her husband. And Peter gives her permission to do that. What what is she disagreeing with? The most important thing, her husband doesn't believe in God. And so they disagree on the most foundational thing. This means the way they organize their home, they don't agree on. The way they educate their children, they don't agree on. What they do on Sundays, they don't agree on. The way they spend their money, they don't agree on it. And yet what Peter's saying is, ladies, you have permission to disagree with your husband, but just do so in a way that is humble and that is gentle and that due to your conduct, you may be able to win him over without a word. You can still disagree with your husband. Me and Ashley, we don't see eye to eye on everything because she's short. But (laughs) I just made that one up. That was pretty good, right? (laughs) But yet, but yet we have an environment in our home to where, to where even if we don't agree, we still agree that we will love one another. The second thing is submission does not mean that you don't seek to influence your husband. When God made Adam and Eve, the only thing he said was not good was for Adam to be alone. He said, everything else is great. That guy needs a lot of help. And so he created Eve to come alongside and to be a helpmate that was suited for him. And so, so wives, here's what you need to know. Your husband needs help. You are to influence your husband. Yes, he's to lovingly lead, but he cannot make decisions for the well-being of your family if he doesn't have your input. And so don't just sit there and be an object or a doormat. No, instead, voice your opinion and share and seek to influence your husband as he makes a decision for your families. The third thing is this, is that submission doesn't mean putting the will of your husband before Christ. In the home, there is a order of priority. God first, spouse second, kids third, work fourth, vocation, extracurriculars fifth. And anytime that gets out of order, your life will be out of order. If you put your kids before your husband, big trouble, right? If you put husbands, if you put work above your wife, big trouble. But if your husband is telling you to put his will before Christ, you have an obligation to rebuke him. Because if your husband is asking you to sin, the answer is no. Because your first authority comes from Jesus Christ himself. If your husband is sinning against you, you tell him no. And you seek the authority that comes from Christ because that man is to be under spiritual authority himself. And a man who refuses to submit under spiritual authority is a dangerous man because he denies accountability for his life. God has instituted authority, governmental authority, church authority. And so it's not encouraging women to stay with abusive men. In fact, it's teaching the church how to bring discipline towards men who don't respect women. What he's saying is this, is that for a woman who's in this environment, you need to call the cops. You need to call the elders of the church, get some other people involved, get separation and possibly divorce. There's three biblical grounds for divorce, according to the Bible, adultery, abandonment and abuse. And so for those who have been said, like you need to stay in a relationship, do not divorce. That's actually not true. There are some biblical grounds. Now, no fault divorce just because you wanna be happy is not a biblical ground for divorce. 
but adultery, abandonment, and abuse. And if you're living in that environment, call the cops, call the church, submit to a greater authority above your husband's authority because that man is a man who has given up and he has forfeited the spiritual authority that he has over you in your life. And so the fourth thing he says is this, is that submission does not mean that only your husband can teach you. Some people will take 1 Peter chapter 3 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and they'll say, see, this means that, that, that women are to learn at home and cannot be vocal within the church. That's actually not what this is talking about. Because we even know this is that, is that Jesus taught women. Jesus welcomed women. Jesus' followers were women. The people who supported the ministry of Jesus were women. The first woman at the, the first person at the empty tomb was a woman. The first person to evangelize about the resurrected Lord Jesus was a woman. Deacons in the book of Acts were women. First Corinthians 11 tells women to prophesy within the church. See, listen, women are to learn theology. They are to learn doctrine. Titus tells us that women are learned from other women. Women are to be involved in small groups. They're to be in serve team. They're to be members of a church. They're to lead within the church. Women are to learn theology. And as a husband, yes, you are a spiritual leader in your home. But to say that you are the only one who can teach your wife, and that's what submission is, is not actually biblical. The, the, four, the fifth thing is this, is that submission does not mean being silent. Look what it says here. It, it says that for a woman... They are not to have the outward adorning of the world, but to be an imperishable beauty with a gentle and quiet spirit. There is a difference between silence and quiet. Some people would say, all women need to be silent. That's not what it says. It says women should have a gentle and quiet spirit, that our adorning should not be from the outside, but on the inside, and that we are not to be silent and you are not to be loud, but rather you to be quiet. Proverbs 9 actually talks about this. Proverbs 9 presents two types of women. There's Lady Folly, and she is loud. She is boisterous. She is demanding. And what Proverbs says is those who follow her, they do so to their own death. But then there's Lady Wisdom. And what does Lady Wisdom do? She prepares a table. She invites people into her home and she sits down and she shares a meal and she speaks into their life because she knows that she doesn't have to be loud to be powerful because her words carry great weight with them. The way that the world is trying to persuade women is to be like Lady Folly. That if you want to be a woman, if you want to be feminine, if you want to be heard, you got to get real loud. You have to be real boisterous. You have to be demanding and assertive. And that's the only way that you could be feminine and be provocative. You got to show skin on social media. If you want to be a woman, you got to march in the streets for your rights. You have to show the world who you are. You got to act like a man and then turn around and call anything that is manly toxic masculinity or patriarchy, and then we need to tear these things down. And they're presenting this idea of what it means to be a woman, but here's the crazy thing. They can't even define what a woman is. Our society is not empowering women. Our society is actually erasing the femininity that God has placed and the beauty that is inside every single woman. And yet what Peter is saying here is that the church is to do what the church has done for millennia and to empower women, to celebrate women, and to embrace the femininity that is inside every woman. But when we seek to empower women, we must do so in a way that is godly and not in a way that is worldly. 
Listen, sex work is not empowering to women. Pornography is not empowering to women. Transgenderism is not empowering to women. Allowing men to become women of the year is not empowering to women. Men getting pregnant is not empowering to women. Erasing gender is not empowering to women. Third wave feminism is not empowering to women. Teaching women that children are a burden to be off put later in life is not empowering to women. Abortion is not empowering to women. Demasculating men is not empowering to women. If we want to empower women, we must do so in a way that, dis, that shows the glory of God that is within each one of them and not seek to erase that from them. We need to embrace the femininity that is inside each and every single woman and not try to erase the gender and ways that God has created you to be. Lady Folly, she is loud. Don't listen to her for those who sit at her table the dead are there. But Lady Wisdom, those who sit at her table, there is life to be found because a biblical woman knows that she doesn't have to be loud to be heard. A biblical woman knows this, that my words are filled with wisdom and they carry great weight. But being quiet does not mean being silent. The sixth thing is this, is that Submission does not mean that you are to live in fear. Here's what it says, verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Let me say this. Abraham is royalty in the Bible. He is the father of the faith. And what it's saying here is that as women, you are her daughters, which means you're heirs in Christ, the promise through their offspring. You're royalty in Christ. You're royalty, ladies, you are royalty in Christ. Here's what it says. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You are her daughters if you do what is right and you do not give in to fear. These verses, they empower women to lovingly, humbly serve and to lead and to live lives of flourishing and what I want to encourage you with is this, is in this church and in these homes, a God-fearing wife is to be fearless. So it's my job as a pastor to create an environment in this church for women to live without fear. And as husbands, it's your job in your homes to create an environment to where your life and your wife are to do so without fear. Because a, a God-fearing woman has nothing to fear because she knows that she is made in the image and likeness of God. She knows that all the promises in the Bible also include her. She knows that God loves her equally. God serves her equally. God saved her equally. That she is filled with the Holy Spirit. That she has a destiny and she has a purpose. That God is her provider. That God is her protector. That he is the one who goes before her. That he makes a way for her in her life. All of the promises in the Bible are yes and amen for women as well. And so a God-fearing wife, she is to be fearless when it comes on how to live this world. This world wants to make Christian women insecure, right. make Christian women feel like 
They're less than, that they're not accepted or not welcomed. This world will try to take Christian women and beat them up when what God is trying to do is to empower you and build you up to be the woman that he has created you to be. A God-fearing wife is to be a fearless woman. And so these verses, they actually empower women. They empower a woman to embrace the femininity that God has placed inside every single one of you. So what I want to do for just a moment is I just want to say thank you to my wife, Ashley. Y'all don't see what she does around here. Whenever we started this church, Ashley was right here by my side. She served, she led. But whenever we started having children, she took a step back and she started serving behind the scenes. For the last five years, she has been our number one intercessor of this church. For those of you who come to me with pastoral problems, Ashley, she's been praying for you for years, praying for your marriages, praying for your healing, praying for your children. When crisis comes up in the church, she is the first one to make a sacrifice. In fact, 16 years ago, Ashley is the one who led me to Christ. Ashley's the one who, 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 who led me to Jesus. I wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be your pastor if it wasn't for Ashley. And so while Ashley may not be an elder and she won't preach a sermon here on stage, she is the closest thing to a pastor that I have in my life. Amen. So as a church, we must create space because she influences me more than anybody else. And she has probably one of the greatest influences on what God is doing here as a church. And so men and, and church members, we must create a space for women to flourish and to grow. And here's what I want to give you the definition of submission is. It's to honor your husband by helping him through using your spiritual gifts. Thank you, Ashley, for helping me. Thank you for helping me to be a better man, to be a better dad, to be a better pastor every day. Submission is honoring your husband by helping them. This is not chauvinism where the man is out front or misogyny. This is not feminism where the woman is out front. She gets to do whatever she wants. This is not egalitarianism that seeks to erase gender altogether. This is God's biblical design of a man and a woman being together in unity. As the husband leads, the wife helps. It's honoring your husband by helping him through using the God-given glory that is inside of you. That's the word to the wives. In just a moment, what I want to do is talk to the men. But for a second, I want to talk to the singles in the room. Because every time I preach a sermon over marriage, all, all the single people feel singled out. And they're like, oh no, what's another thing I can't do, right? But here's what I want to do. I want to just give you some really quick um, marriage advice. You're like, but I'm not married. Consider this premarital counseling. It's pre-premarital counseling, because if you don't pay attention now, it'll be post-marriage counseling later. Here's my best advice for the singles in the room. You ready? Remain two until you become one. Jesus says a man will leave his husband and mother and or, or mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become what? One. Okay, if you ain't married, you ain't one. You're still two. And you should remain two until you become one. For those of you who are single, I want you to know something. One is a whole number. You are not broken for being single. 
You are not less than for being single. You are not incomplete no matter what Jerry Maguire said. You complete me. No, Christ completes you. You are whole by yourself. And if you desire to get married, you are a one that is looking for your two. And when you find your two, remain one or two until you become one. Because if you're pretending to be married, you're going to continue to delay marriage longer than it needs to be. Right? Boyfriends don't get husband privileges. And girlfriends are not your mom to take care of you. And they are not your wife. Therefore, they don't have to submit to you. Remain two until you become one. See, the world would tell you that if you want to have a great relationship, you need to have sex and move in together. No, that's wrong. Because sex before marriage does not teach you intimacy. It teaches you how to steal and how to prevent real communication from happening. It goes past love and it settles for lust. That is not how you build a healthy marriage because good sex takes intimacy. It takes trust. It takes time for you to develop those things. Living together, cohabitation is actually preparation for divorce. Research has shown that 33% more likely to divorce simply by living together. Because cohabitation is actually preparation for divorce. It doesn't prepare you to get married. You say, but I just need to know if they're compatible. Listen, they're not. That's why it requires commitment. Right now, people are like, oh, I know, but you know, pastor, like we're going to get married anyway. You know what that means? You're not married now. That's like somebody going to Walmart and getting a big screen TV, getting stopped and saying, well, I was going to pay for it later. That's called stealing. You're like, oh, but pastor, we're married in God's eyes. No, you're not. I've read Revelation. His eyes are filled with fire and he's looking down, judging. Say, that sounds very judgy because he is the one who judges. You say, oh, but we're living together because it's just, it saves us money. Oh, yeah, because holiness is too expensive. Right, but, you know, he just doesn't really have a job. Listen, if you're dating someone who doesn't have a job and doesn't have a friend who will let him crash on his couch and he can't actually hold down a place to live on his own, he may not be a first-round draft pick for a husband. Get out of here with that excuse. Listen, remain two. Dating is about evaluating. Dating is a time where you're looking for the red flags. Dating is a time where you're watching to see how does he respect women? Does he own a Bible? Can he read the Bible? Can he read at all? Is he in a small group? Because he may be a 10, but if he ain't in a small group, he's a two. Guys, you're evaluating. You're like, I know she's, you know, she doesn't really love God, but, you know, like, she is really hot. Hell is hot. Don't mean you want to go there. <laughs> Dating is evaluating. You're looking to see, is this a person that I want to put up with for the rest of my life? Yeah. And if they don't love Jesus, they will never be able to love you the way that Jesus wants you to be loved. Yeah. And so my advice to singles is this, remain two until you become one. If you're single, you are a whole person. You don't need somebody to complete you because you have everything you need in Christ Jesus. But if you do desire to get married, and marriage is a good thing, remain too 
until you become one. That's the best advice I can give to you. Now, let's talk to the men. A word to the husbands. Likewise, husbands. Let's pause there for a sec. That word likewise, what does that mean? It means the same. So it means that everything that Peter said to women also applies to men. Likewise, husbands, what are you supposed to do? Live with your wives in an understanding way. How many of you guys, you're like, I don't understand her. Good job not raising your hand, buddy. <laughs> Except for you. <laughs> but he says, you're to live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Hmm, interesting. We'll talk about that. <clears throat> Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be unhindered. Okay, guys, let's chat for just a second. He says, likewise, it means everything God says about women, also now it applies to us as men. And I hear all the time, men are like, pastor, how do I get my wife to submit to me? When I made that Facebook post, one woman, she actually commented, she said, she said, the worst advice that I've ever been given is a pastor telling me to submit to my husband without telling my husband that he needs to honor me. And I agree with her. Because oftentimes we, we teach this verse and, and men, they love the verse, wives submit to your husbands, pastors will preach this verse all day. And yet what we overlook is a man's responsibility to his wife. Listen, men, if you want your wife to submit to you, which is a good, godly and beautiful thing, you know what? You have to be a man who is safe for her to submit. Because a wife cannot, listen, biblically, she cannot submit to a man who is unsafe. We already saw that in 1 Peter 1 through 6. She cannot do it. So if you want your wife to submit to you, you must learn to sacrifice for her. Jesus says that, or Paul rather says that the way that Jesus loves the church is the way that a husband is to love his wife. What does Jesus do for the church? He lays down his life for the church. So as a man... If you want a wife who actually respects you, you need to be respectable. If you want a, a wife who honors you, you need to be honorable and you need to be honoring. If you want your wife to submit to you, then you must be safe and you must learn how to sacrifice for your wife. Listen, men, here's your job. You are to build your wife up and you are never to tear her down. See, the world tears her down enough. She needs you to champion her, to celebrate her, and to build her up and to never tear her down. This is the legacy of the church for 2,000 years. In the paterfamilia of first century Rome, men were basically gods into their own house. And women were seen just one step above slaves. And a man could actually beat his wife into submission. If you disrespect me, but man would beat her. A man could divorce the wife, but a wife had no right to divorce her husband. Women couldn't own property, sell goods and services. They were basically treated as slaves in the home. And what Peter is saying, if you're a Christian, knock that off. It has no business in the church. It has no business in your home. Disrespecting, dishonoring a woman like that. It should never happen to those who claim to be Christians. It's unexcusable. But rather, what he sees is this, is we are to honor our wives as what? The weaker vessels. 
Now, some ladies in the room are going, uh-uh, not me. Listen, this is not talking about women being weaker intellectually. This doesn't mean women being weaker emotionally. This doesn't mean women being weaker spiritually. Because there's some women in this room, they run a lapse around you guys. What it is talking about is physically women are weaker than men. That they're smaller and more fragile and frail. And that men can use their strength and their size to intimidate a woman into submission. And that, my friends, is demonic. And so we are to honor a woman with our size and with our strength by creating environments that are healthy, that are safe, and that promote the flourishing of wives and children in the home. Why? Because the next thing it says is they are heirs in Christ. They are heirs in the grace of life. Do you see how countercultural this is to the first century? First century women were treated like slaves. And Peter says, nope. They're heirs with the grace of life. This is showing the equality that men and women have. That they are equally loved, you are equally served, you are equally forgiven, you are equally empowered by the Holy Spirit. Your wife is an heir to the grace of life. The same promises that God makes throughout all of the Bible are also available to your wife as well. And so what do we do? We honor the women that are in our lives and husbands, you honor your wife. And so all the ladies in the room, thank you for bringing your husband to church. Let me give you five ways, men, that you can honor your wife starting this week. The first thing is this, is you honor your wife spiritually. Listen, men, don't make your wife be the spiritual leader of your house. Don't make your wife pick the church and pick the small group and you sit at home and you say, you do that because all that Jesus stuff is for women. No, Jesus was a man. You be a man and you love Jesus. So, so be involved in the spiritual development of your home. Right? Go to small group with your wife. Come to church with your wife. Raise your hands and worship with your wife. And here's why this is so important. Statistically, here's what we see. I got some stats here. Statistically speaking, if a kid goes to church alone, the mom and dad are 3.5% likely to convert to Christianity. If the woman goes to church alone, there is a 17% chance that the husband and the children will convert to Christianity. But for you men, if you make a decision to have church a priority, there is a 93% chance that your wife and your children will follow along with it. Because there's something that happens when a man takes responsibility for the spiritual well-being of his home. Like, guys, just go home this week and just before you leave for work, just say, hey, baby, come sit on the couch with me. Open up your Bible. Let's just, let's just do a little devotional. Your wife is going to look at you and be like, who are you and what did you do with my husband? And you're going to say, life changed through Jesus, baby. Come on. <laughs> we want to be spiritual leaders. You can honor your wife spiritually. You can honor your wife emotionally. Open up with your hopes, your dreams, your fears. Begin to show your wife this thing called emotions. One of the best things, I know guys, sometimes it could be hard because it's difficult for me. And so what we did, me and Ashley, is we actually bought a deck of cards called Better Self. 
And once a week, we sit down, we pull out three or four better self cards, and it's prompts, relationship prompts. There's date night cards, there's relationship cards, there's intimacy cards, right? You pull them out, and it's just little prompts that helps you be able to start conversations. And, you know, since me and Ashley have been doing it, I have learned more about her in the last year than I have in the 14 years that we've been married. Something changes whenever you become emotionally available and you honor her emotionally. So let her know what's going on in that head of yours. Number three, honor your wife physically. There's this thing. Guys, I'm going to help you out. Pro tip, right? Pro tip. It's called non-sexual physical touch. It's, it's just like sexual touch, but it's not. It's wild. It includes things like hugging or holding hands or when you're driving the car, you put your hand on her leg and only her leg. It's like when a back rub ends with a back rub. I know it's crazy, guys, but, but listen, here's the thing. Guys, I just want to talk to you for just a moment because I know the way you think because I think like you too. Like, like you think like sports, like there's a ball and a goal. And you got to get that ball across the line so you can score. And so all day long, you're just driving towards the goal line. Hopefully at the end of the day, you get to score. But ladies are not really that into sports. Sometimes they're into cuddling. Sometimes they're into hugging. Sometimes they're into conversations. I know it's hard. But ever since me and Ashley have started doing this on Wednesday, it has helped. And if you do it right, it leads to number four, honoring your wife sexually. Put the needs of your wife before your own. Just give you a little illustration is that men are like microwaves, women are like crockpots. Right? And, and, you know, it's okay every now and again to push a few buttons and then be done. But if you want to have a good marriage, it takes patience, it takes time, who would rather eat? Would you rather eat a hot pocket or would you rather eat a nice? <laughs> Ladies on the front row saying, Pastor, preach it, Pastor, come on. <laughs> so, guys, take your time. Honor your wife sexually. I'll move on. Number five <laughs> is to honor your wife consistently. Be a consistent man. Don't make your wife wake up, wonder who she's married to today. You know, like someday she's like, am I, getting, am, I getting, am I getting Rico Suave or am I getting Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite? <laughs> Be consistent, right? Some days she's like, I'm married to Peter. Some days she's like, I'm married to Judas. I don't know who I'm married to today. Don't make a woman guess who you are, be consistent. I'm not saying you're gonna be perfect because I had to text my wife this morning, I'm sorry, because I'm preaching a sermon over marriage and I was a jerk this weekend. That doesn't mean I'm gonna be a perfect man, but I wanna be a consistent man. Yeah. And if I can string enough days together, and if I can do it week after week, month after month, year after year, then we're gonna have a marriage that lasts for 50 years. God's not asking you to be perfect, but he, he just wants you to be consistent in your actions and in your behaviors and the way that you honor a woman. Why? Because Peter says something that's really terrifying. He says this as he closes out. He says, if you don't honor your wife, God will not hear your prayers. 
men, sometimes the reason your life is the way it is is because you're not honoring your wife. The reason you're not getting that promotion at your work, the reason that your health is declining, the reason that your prayers aren't being answered is because you're not honoring your wife. He says that if you don't do this, your prayers will be hindered because if you don't honor your wife, God will not hear your prayers. Listen, I'm a dad. If my girls grow up and get married and their future husband comes to me and and says, hey, Byron, will you help me to to honor your daughters? You know what I'm gonna say? Absolutely, I will move heaven and earth to bless you. But if a man comes to me and says, Byron, I wanna harm your daughters, it's a request I'm not hearing. And so for men, as as you build your home, as you look at your marriage, One of the ways you can test the maturity of a man is not to ask him, but to ask his wife. For the men in this church, I don't care how many Bible verses you can quote. I don't know, I don't care how many systematic theologies that you've read. I don't care if you can quote dead guys all day long. I don't care how much you can bench lift, you know, bench weight. I don't care how much, much you can dead, deadlift. I don't care how great your job is at the plants. I don't care about Jack if you don't treat your wife right. Because the measure of a man is determined by the way he treats a woman. And if you don't answer your, if you don't honor your wife, God will not hear your prayers. Men, I, I hope you hear this. Do you want heaven to be opened over your home? Pray for your wife. Do, do you want to see the favor of God on your life? Be honorable to your wife. Do you want your wife to be submissive to you? Be a safe man who respects her. And this is why Christianity is so crazy. Because there are three things that will divorce-proof your marriage. You heard the statistic, 50% of marriages in a divorce. It's not true. In fact, just by coming to church, you decreased your divorce rates to 35%. But there is a way to drop that from 50% to less than 1%. I'll share with you in a minute. It's the third way. The first way is wives submit to your husbands. The second way is husbands on your wives. You know why relationships, dating, marriage, sex, gender, sexuality is so broken in our world? Because honor and submission are two things this world knows nothing about. But it is the way of Christ. Because Jesus himself submitted to the Father to the point of death. And Jesus, he honored the authority that was above him. Jesus models for us submission and honor. And then he says that if husbands and wives are to love one another the way that I have loved this church, submission and honor, two things the world knows nothing about. Number three is prayer. There's a man named Christopher Ellison. He's a researcher out of the University of Texas. And he wanted to study Christian relationships. And as he was studying Christian relationships, he had 1,500 people over a six-year period. And he wanted to know what the divorce rate for these people were. And over the six years, he had one thing that he noticed stood out above everything else. That out of 1,500 people, only one couple divorced. Only one couple. And here's what the answer was. Peter already told us. He says, couples who prayed with one another in the mornings. If you want to divorce-proof your marriage, here's the secret. Pray together before you go to work. 
pray together before the kids get up and interrupt your day. Pray together. Because it's trite, but it's true. Statistically, uh, couples who pray together stay together. If you want to divorce-proof your marriage, here's how you do it. Three things, submission, honor, and prayer. Submission and honor and prayer. That is the Bible's guide to a better marriage.